Hey, church family. So good to be with you again on this Sunday to worship together with you. Again, I know I've said this every week, but just a reminder that we have started to worship together uh, outside, not inside yet, but outside uh, in the church parking lot. There's plenty of shade back there. We just ask that you bring your uh, your chairs. We've got chairs that are provided if you don't have any, but uh, it's just been good to get together and worship together. But again, as I've said, I know that not everybody is, is quite comfortable with it, that yet, and so we, we want to respect that and um, know that we still love you and we still care about you, and we're just so glad that you've chosen to worship, whether it's in person or online. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. I heard about a teenager who was interviewing for a job at a local movie theater and the manager doing the interview asked him a hypothetical, hypothetical question. He, he asked the young, young teenage boy, he said, okay, so I want to know, what would you do if a fire broke out in the theater? And without missing a beat, the teenager responded, oh, don't worry about me, I'd be just fine. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly the answer the manager was looking for, and yet, in so many ways, it's just kind of par for the course in today's culture. Because the fact of the matter is that thinking of others and, and not just ourselves doesn't always come naturally. And thinking of others beyond myself is something that comes supernaturally as a product of the Spirit's work in my life. And so last week we started a series called Unashamed in which we're looking at the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 and Last week, we talked about one of the fundamental reasons why Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's because he realized that those around him and the world around him had more to gain than he had to lose. He felt like he owed it to them to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. He had an obligation to them because of what was at stake. And so we really broke this idea down last week of the fact that you and I owe it to others to share something with them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's the reality. There is no what-if question when it comes to what would you do if a fire broke out. Because in case you haven't noticed, we live in a world where fires have broken out. I mean, just these past few months have been set ablaze with fires in our country and in our world. We live in a world that is on fire. And I'm not just talking about the fires of hell on the other side of the grave. I'm talking about the destructive fires in this world, on this side of the grave. And so Paul comes along and he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so today I want to focus in on that word gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel. What, what is the gospel? It's a word that's thrown around a lot in, in churches and, and by believers. So what is it that we're saying when we use that word gospel? We're in the Greek, just to give you a little etym etymology of the, the word, break down the word. The, the word in the Greek is the word euangelion. The word gospel is the word Euangelion. It's really the combination of two words. One is the word you, or E-U, spelled E-U, which simply means happy or joyful. And the second is the word angelos, which means one who announces news, very simply. It's actually where we get the word 
angel. An angel is simply a messenger in many ways. And so literally gospel means news that brings joy, or as we've simplified it to mean, good news. By the way, euangelion is also where we get the word evangelism or evangelist, which literally means bringer of good news. Now today, when we hear that word gospel or evangelism or evangelist, most of us think of it exclusively in Christian terms, that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. But the term gospel hasn't always been exclusively tied to Jesus. For instance, there's an ancient inscription from the Roman Empire during the days of, of Jesus that says the beginning of, of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And so historians wrote about the birth of the Roman Caesar and the coronation of the Caesar who ruled at the time when Jesus was born. And they proclaimed that the birth and the rule of Caesar was good news, news that brings joy, in essence, a gospel. And so there were evangelists who rode throughout the Roman Empire spreading the good news, the gospel of the Caesar's birth and, and coronation. And so in essence, a gospel in Jesus's day was any piece of good news of some historical event that would make a difference in people's lives. By the way, it's interesting that the word gospel, or excuse me, the word evangelist is now being used in, in corporate America today. They, they have what are called tech evangelists or, or software evangelists. The term was actually coined by a guy uh, by the name of Mike Murray, who used to work, uh, he coined the phrase several years ago when he worked for, uh, for Apple. And literally, they called them Apple evangelists. That, that's what they called them. That was their formal title. I think they still call them that today. But their, their job was to inform and to educate people in regard to the development of Apple's latest products and software and technology and how they can change, how they can make a difference in people's lives. And so when you see commercials for Apple or other tech companies, in essence, they are evangelizing you. And so all this to say that, that, that the terms gospel and evangelism aren't exclusively Christian terms. Now think about this. Just frame this in, in what was going on in, in Jesus' day, when, in the times Jesus was born. If there was a gospel of Caesar, and if his birth and reign in Rome was considered good news and something that would change people's lives... Can you imagine how inflammatory these words were that Luke quotes in Luke chapter 2 when angels show up to proclaim Jesus' birth? Listen to what the angels say to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring, cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. When the angel is saying those words, one of the things that God is saying at Jesus' birth is this. It's Jesus' birth and Jesus' reign that's going to make the difference, make the real difference in people's lives, not Caesar. That's what's going to make the real difference in people's lives. And so that's just a little bit of a background behind why Paul says what he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And look at how he opens up the letter in Romans chapter 1. Uh, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what he says as he opens up this letter to the Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, he's being specific here, the gospel of God, the, <coughs> excuse me, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. One of the things Paul is doing here is he's clarifying, here's what gospel I'm talking about. I'm talking about the gospel of God and the good news regarding his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and our Lord. He's clarifying which gospel he's talking about. Why? Because Partly because there were other gospels that were circulating. There's the gospel of Caesar. Caesar. There's the gospel of Rome. And from Paul's standpoint, the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be paid attention to above all other gospels. Why? Well, many reasons. But specifically here, as Paul says in verse 4, because Jesus walked out of the tomb. He, He conquered death. And that's not something that happens, just in case you didn't know. That's not something that happens every day. And then he says, he goes on to say in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why would he say that? We mentioned this, I mentioned this a little bit last week. Why would he say that? Because he lived in a world that told him you should be ashamed of that gospel. I mean, why else would you need to stand up and say, I'm not ashamed, unless you're in an environment that's telling you you ought to be ashamed of something. Because anyone who would suggest that the birth and the reign of someone other than Caesar would be gospel or good news that would make more of a difference than the birth and reign of Caesar was asking for trouble. To say Jesus is Lord right in the middle of the Roman Empire was a dangerous thing because it was Caesar who was Lord. You could lose everything if you maintain that Jesus was Lord and that he is the gospel and that he's better news than the reign of Caesar. But for Paul, as we talked about last week, he was more focused on what others had to gain than anything he had to lose. And so he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's Jesus that saves, not Caesar. It's Jesus that's Lord, not Caesar. It's Jesus that makes the real difference, not Caesar and not anybody else. And maybe you're thinking, well, thanks for the history lesson this morning, but what does this have to do with me in the 21st century today? Well, I'll get there in just a moment. But let me just point out a couple of things really quick about the gospel of Jesus Christ. A couple of things that I think we need to understand that it's not, and, and, or what it's not, and, and what it is. Um, and, and here's the first thing. The gospel isn't just advice or instruction. It's not just advice or instruction. What it is, is good news. The gospel isn't just advice or instruction, it's good news. By its very definition, a gospel is an announcement of something that's happened that has implications for your life. It's something that's already happened. Specifically, the gospel of Jesus is an announcement that something incredible has happened, that somebody has already fought for you, that somebody has gone to battle for you, and you no longer have to be a slave to sin, that you're free to become what God has intended for you to become all along. It's an announcement of good news, not simply advice or instruction. Now, why is this important? Because a lot of people tend to think of the gospel to be preached. The gospel that we ought to be preaching is telling people how they ought to act and behave. And yes, God does give us instructions for how we are to live and how we are to act, what not to do and what to do. And obviously those are important things and things that we ought to be doing or not, ought not to be doing, but they aren't the gospel. They are responses to the gospel. They are responses in our lives to what God has already done. A gospel is something that's already happened, not something that you make happen. And so a gospel is announcing something 
that has already happened that's a difference maker for your life. That's why Jesus' resurrection is so important. That's why Jesus, or excuse me, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 and 17, if Christ has not been raised, if he's not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless and our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. It's all pointless. Because if he hasn't been raised, that would make him a liar and completely empty the cross of its meaning. That's why Paul says, if you remember back in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that we just read a while ago, that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God. He was declared how? By his resurrection from the dead. In other words, because he walked out of that tomb, I need to pay attention to everything he said and did before he walked into that tomb. Or before he went into that tomb. I guess he didn't walk in. Before he went in to the tomb. Because when he walked out of that tomb, that confirmed that he really was the Son of God and he really did die for my sins. When he says that he's going to die for the sins of the world, when he came walking out of that tomb, it confirmed that what he said really was true. It validated who he was and who he said he was and what he was all about. And because of that, you can know, you really can truly know that his gospel really is a difference maker in your life. Paul would put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, you can go check it out. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Then he says in verse 11, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. And so for Paul, this is, this is news that everyone can use. That's why I say the gospel isn't simply advice or instruction. It's good news about something that's happened that will make a difference in your life. Here's the second thing. <clears throat> the gospel isn't and what the gospel is. The gospel isn't who you are and what you've done and are doing. The gospel is who God is and what he's done and what he is doing. Let me say that again. The gospel isn't who you are and what you've done and are doing. The gospel is who God is and what he's done and is doing. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He doesn't say anything about your power or my, my power. The gospel is the power of God. It's not who you are or what you've done or are doing. It's who he is and what he's done and what he is doing. And the reason that's so important for us to realize is because this is the major difference between the message of Jesus Christ and all other religions and forms of spirituality. Pretty much all other religions and forms of spirituality are about what we have to do in order to connect with God or whatever deity it may be and to please him. But what the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims is this. This is what God has done through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to connect you back to him and to connect you with others. That's what the gospel proclaims. And by the way, this, isn't why, this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ can be something to be ashamed of by some people. 
because it's precisely not who you are and what you've done or what you are doing. And some people can't stand that or they have a hard time wrapping their minds around that. You know, several years ago, and this is not the only one, so I don't mean to pick on these two guys, but several years ago, Jesse Ventura, a former pro wrestler and governor, governor of, uh, of uh, Minnesota, that's how I remember him. I remember him as the pro wrestler, not the former governor, but uh, several years ago, he was asked a question about religion, and he answered by saying that he thought organized religion was a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people who aren't strong enough to stand on their own. And then he went on, went on to talk about some of his problems with organized religion. Ted Turner said something similar when he talked about Christianity being for losers. Now, when those things were said, those in the Christian community got mad and, and defensive and started pointing to Christians who were in positions of prominence and power and influence, those known for being strong and, and being winners, right? Those are the guys. Look, look at those Christians, right? That, that, that's our tendency to, to stand up and say, no, we're, we're not weak. Look at all those influential, powerful, successful Christians. But maybe, maybe we've got things backwards. I mean, I'm sure they didn't mean it this way, but I wonder if Ventura and Turner don't get the message of Jesus Christ more than we do at times. Because one of the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are weak. We are in trouble. We, we can't stand on our own before God without help. We can't be transformed on our own. And, and that can be something to be ashamed of if our trust and our pride are strictly in us. Because one of the implications of the gospel is that I'm weak enough to where I can't stand on my own righteousness before God. I'm weak enough that I can't change on my own. I mean, if that's not the case, then basically you're telling me that God sent his son and allowed him to go, go through everything he went through and suffer the way he did just so his son could be a luxury option? No. Jesus endured everything he did because there weren't any other options. And the gospel becomes such good news when we finally wake up to the reality of how weak we are and how much in need we are. The gospel is the power of God. It's not the power of you. It's not the power of me. It's the power of God. That's why the meaning of Jesus's name is so significant. His name literally means God saves. Doesn't mean Josh saves. Doesn't mean you save. It means God saves. And to believe in the name of Jesus is to literally believe that it's the Lord and he alone who saves. Because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So as we close our time today, let me just close with four questions for us to think about when it comes to how this impacts our lives. And the first question is this, will you trust in the gospel as the power of God when it comes to your salvation? When you trust in the gospel as the power of God when it comes to your salvation. And, and this isn't just a question for those who haven't yet given their lives to Jesus Christ. This is also a question for us who have already given our lives to Jesus Christ. Let, let me ask you another question. I, I want you to just think about it. If you died, would you go to heaven? If you died, would you go to heaven? Now, how many of us immediately respond with something like, well, I think I would because I've... And then we go on to, to rehearse all the things that we've done 
or haven't done. Let me ask you a question. How long does it take before we get to because of what Jesus has done? Even those of us who have been Christians, some of us for years and years, we still may have something deep down inside of us that that trusts more in ourselves and what we've done or what we haven't done for our salvation than what Jesus has done. And if our response to that question has more to do with that than with Jesus, with us than with Jesus, that's probably a good indication of whose power we're really trusting in for our salvation. But the reality is that God accepts us and saves us not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that Christ has done for us. And that's really the true heart of the power of the gospel. But trusting in the gospel as the power of God doesn't, have to just, doesn't just have to do with my salvation. Here's the second question. Will you trust in the, power, or in the gospel as the power of God when it comes to your witness? Will you trust in the power or the gospel as the power of God when it comes to your witness and to telling other people about Jesus Christ? The idea of the gospel being the power of God should impact my attitude as I seek to share it with others. It's the gospel that's the power of God. It's not my delivery of the gospel. It's not my persuasiveness of the gospel. It's not my knowledge of the gospel that's the power of God. It's the gospel that's the power of God. Don't confuse the container with the content. Now, as we go through this series, we're going to look at some practical things for sharing the gospel. But before we even start to talk about that, we need to understand that it's the gospel. It's the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that's the power of God, not our delivery or our persuasiveness, or our knowledge of it. It's not in how you share the gospel. It's in that you share the gospel. Because the gospel is the power. So will you trust in the gospel as the power of God when it comes to seeking to tell others about Jesus? Here's the third question. What gospel is filling your life? What gospel is filling your life? There's an old English word for gospel called God Spell, G-O-D-S-P-E-L-L, God Spell. I, I kind of like that idea, under the spell of God and under the spell of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. I mean, isn't that, isn't that what we want to be? It, under the spell of God? I, I mean, I want to be so captivated and filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ that it can't help but overflow out of my heart and out of my mouth that I can't help but share it with others. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, your heart, or your, your mouth speaks what your heart is full of. So let me ask you, what gospel is your heart full of? What gospel are you under the influence of? What do you default to in your conversations? What, what is it easy for you to talk about that just flows out of you? Because the truth is we all have seasons in our lives where we fall under the influence of other gospels. Just process and think about these last few months. How many of us as believers, myself included, have much more readily had conversations with people about the coronavirus, 
about wearing masks, about government involvement, about what we should or shouldn't be doing, about all those things. How, much, how many of us as believers have much more readily have co- had conversations about those things than we have about Jesus Christ? Why is that? Could it be that we're more full of the gospel of whatever we believe about those things or what we're hearing about those things than we are full of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying we can't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we can't have conversations about those things. I'm just asking us to evaluate what gospel are we more full of? Or even think about something like word of mouth marketing. Maybe there's a product that you use that you really like. And of course, companies are always marketing and you know advertising how their stuff will make a difference. It'll be life-changing if you just use this product in your life in this area or that area. And we talk about it. We share the difference that product has made. Think about over the last couple of weeks or the last few days, how many products, how many uh, word of mouth products have you shared, right? Just talking about something that you use that you think makes a difference in your life. Or, Or think about the things that you want to happen in your life, something that you think will be life changing. If this happens or if that happens, it'll change my life and we talk about it. The point is we all have a tendency to fall under the influence of different versions of good news. We all have things that we default to. We all have things that are just easy for us to talk about. We all have news that we like to declare. So what are you declaring these days? What gospel are you sharing? Whatever it is, that's probably the thing that your heart is full of because what you're full of is what you spill out. So what gospel is filling your life? And then lastly, I'll leave you with this question. Who in your life needs to hear some good news? Who in your life needs to hear some good news? Maybe they need to hear it for the first time. Maybe they've never really heard the good news of Jesus Christ and the life and the salvation that he brings. Or maybe they need to hear it again. I touched on this last week and mentioned that For some people, they may need to hear the gospel as much as 35 to 40 times or even more than that before they respond to it and they give their lives to Jesus Christ and make that decision to follow him. Other people are connecting the dots along the way. I mean, I'm still growing in my understanding of what Jesus has done in my life. And so who in your life needs to hear some good news? Because listen, we've got the best news in the world God, the creator of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, wants to have a relationship with us. He loved us enough to send his son to die, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, so that instead of getting what we deserve and dying in our sins, we can have life and salvation. And his son rose from the dead. He brought him back from the dead to give us a hope of life and salvation beyond this life. What? Better news could there possibly be than that? And so who in your life needs to hear some good news? The good news. And maybe more to the point, are you gonna be the one to share it with them? Because it's really good news. It's really good news. And as we talked about last week, we owe it to them because they have so much more to gain than anything we have to lose.